Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What's up? You know, just membership chilling. Chilling. And of course, myself, Alex. So today we are sitting down with our executive director, Chelsea Thomas. But before we get into it, we want to take a moment to quickly introduce a special friend of the pod, Chelsea. Who do we have joining us today? Well, I'm very excited to announce that we have a longtime listener and super fan of the pod, the one and only Miss Barbara Cole. Yay! (laughs) Hi, this is Barb. Hey, Barb, we're so excited to have you on Tech Swamp. Can you believe it? Yes, we I can't can believe it. it. <laughs> I Do you feel like you're membership chilling? <laughs> I am definitely membership chilling. Yes, and with my very own daughter. And I want you to know that I am a Tech Swamp fan because I learn new terms and I learn a part of the world that I'm not usually um, savvy to. So just helps when I'm watching the news. And I think everybody should know that the producers are exceptionally witty and kind people. And it, I really have enjoyed getting to know you guys. So uh, I think the world of you. And I think that with your, your technological wisdom and uh, your life skills, you can um, help people understand the larger world around them. So there you go. That's well, my that's my so shout out. Thank that you so wonderful. much. That was wonderful. Um, and every month we look forward to hearing from your uh, from you about sort of what you thought of Tech Swamp that month. It's a it's a really wonderful thing for us as well. So thank you yeah. so much for being a yeah. listener, and thank you for finally getting to join us on Tech Swamp. Very exciting. Well, go to it. And I'm going <laughs> to the park. Take care. Have fun. Talk to you soon. Enjoy it. You bet. So nice to hear from Barb. Um, so let's get into it. Today we're going to be talking about the role we have to play in answering the call for racial justice. Uh, as mentioned, we're sitting down with our executive director, Chelsea Thomas, to discuss our commitment to stand with the black community by looking within ourselves, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces. We're also going to be joined by Kiana Stewart of member company Global Force Tech Consulting to talk about her experience as a black woman in the tech industry and her newly launched nonprofit for young women interested in computer science education and workforce development. Uh, But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. June 6, 2005, 15 years ago to this month, Steve Jobs announced that Macs would use Intel processors. At Apple's WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, Steve Jobs announced Macintosh computers would transition from PowerPC to Intel processors. Unbeknownst to the public, for every version of Mac OS X released, Apple actually had prepared a version running on an Intel processor. By making the transition to Intel, Apple paved the way for the resurgence of the Macintosh computer by making it more compatible with software for Microsoft Windows. This is particularly topical because at this past week's WWDC keynote, it was announced that Apple will be switching Macs to their own processors called Apple Silicon. Devices with Apple Silicon will be available later this year. And that's all for tech history.
That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are some of the top tech headlines? Apple's App Store is under fire from lawmakers taking an interest in antitrust issues. Chairman of the House Antitrust Subcommittee, Congressman Cicilline, spoke out against Apple's App Store after catching wind of a dispute between Apple and a third-party developer, Hey.com. This dispute has since been settled, but the chairman said his committee intends to shine a light on developers. We'll be sure to keep you posted on these issues in future episodes of TechSwamp. Across the Capitol, in the Senate, there is some activity going on around encryption. And spoiler, it is bad. Senators Graham, Cotton, and Blackburn introduced the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act, or LADA, a bill that would weaken encryption and the protections that come with it. LADA? More like LAMA. (laughs) (laughs) These senators are pitching the bill to bolster national security interests, and we often see anti-encryption advocates voice concerns that encryption allows users to hide so that they can conduct nefarious activities. However, the second we provide such access to law enforcement, we are also creating a way for bad actors to access personal information to perpetuate cyber crimes, identity theft, or harassment. We will be following the path of this legislation as well as other legislative attempts to disrupt security in future episodes of TechSmart. Some good news out of the FCC this week, we're inching closer to TV white spaces. That's right, earlier this week, a bipartisan group of Congress people sent a letter to Chairman Ajit Pai applauding the FCC's action during this global health crisis, otherwise known as COVID-19. In their letter, members of Congress said, we have followed the deployment of TV white space pilots across the nation and appreciate that this modality reaches otherwise underserved areas and populations with minimal infrastructure which makes it especially cost-effective. We fully support the FCC's mission to bridge the digital divide and encourage the commission to move quickly and adopt final rules based on the NPRM by the end of 2020. This is an exciting step towards closing the digital divide, and we'll be sure to keep you posted on actions around TV white spaces in future episodes of TechSwamp. Rounding out what's brewing with the presidential election update, Now that we're down to two major candidates from the two major parties, we're checking back in with the polls. Depending on the national polls you are looking at, former Vice President Biden is leading President Trump anywhere from 8 to 14 points. After some disagreements around social distancing and mask wearing between the Republican National Committee and the state of North Carolina, the Republican National Convention will mainly be held in Jacksonville, Florida, from August 24th through the 27th. Just a few activities on day one will still take place in North Carolina, the original location of the 2020 convention, uh, while the Democratic convention will be held August 17th through the 20th and is tentatively set to take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but may be done virtually. We'll be sure to keep you posted on election happenings in future episodes of TechSwamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, today we're joined by our executive director, Chelsea Thomas, to talk about the role we have to play in answering the call for racial justice. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for joining us on the pod. It is a privilege to be here. Um, well, we appreciate that. 
So let's just jump in. Uh, over the past several years, we've seen a revolution take root and recently bloom into a widespread movement. The call to put an end to inequality and commit to racial justice is here, and we're trying to do our part to answer that call. Chelsea, can you kind of start us off by talking about what inspired um, the letter that came out last week from you and the rest of the executive team? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I think that all of us realize that we have a role to play in the fight for racial justice. And as we talked about this, we realized that we can't be silent, that we need to step up and actively work together as an organization. And the first step is to look at ourselves. You know, we have 20 people on our staff and half of them identify as women, which is good when it comes to the gender gap. Um, but only one person out of these 20 people is black. So it's clear that we must do better. It's important to recognize, you know, we might be part of this problem. And once you realize that, it becomes clear that the only way forward is to fix it. Yes, we're a tech trade association and what we work on are tech and small business related issues, but we recognize our industry cannot thrive until everyone in the industry is thriving. Right now, we see members of the black community suffering and hear them when they say that they are not thriving and that's not okay. Um, so we need to do everything that we can to help. We have to look at if what we do in the world is either perpetuating or alleviating racial injustice. And it turns out that there are a lot of policies that even though on the surface, they don't look like they have anything to do with racial injustice, they can actually make a huge difference. So we're going to look at where we can find people to hire and review how the policies that we advocate for can work towards more racial justice. Absolutely. That's that's really important. Um, so I, I want to talk about more about the letter um, and, and what's in it. We have several policy initiatives outlined, as well as advisory board commitments and other programs that we're implementing to empower the black community. Um, so since you just mentioned the demographics of our staff, I want to start with that. What are we doing there? Well, to start, we're establishing an internship program with historically black colleges and universities, sometimes called just HBCU, um, with students who are at those schools who are interested in exploring the intersection of technology and policy advocacy. We're also hoping to have an impact outside of our office. We're advocating for policies that give black students more access to STEM and STEAM education and coding skills at all levels. And we also need to make sure that related internships and job opportunities aren't just a diversity hire checkbox. When an organization hires people of color, the point is to diversify, but not just to diversify the kinds of people that you see when you look around the room. This means you're also diversifying points of view and getting perspectives beyond the small bubble that has been built. Bringing in various backgrounds, cultures, and experiences together means that you're getting more comprehensive understanding of your fellow human. You're also able to see here and identify valuable perspectives that would have been completely missed if say it were just a room full of white men ages 40 and up. You could say that again. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about some of the other commitments that we've made? You know, right now this country is dealing with a public health emergency with many of the, many of the people suffering being in black and brown communities. Telehealth and telemedicine solutions can help fix those problems. Keeping that in mind, we'll continue to push for regulatory changes on the availability of digital health tools, such as telehealth and remote patient monitoring, to address the racial disparities of healthcare. Outside of COVID-19, telemedicine is crucial when it comes to fighting chronic diseases that disproportionately affect Black Americans, like diabetes and heart disease. 
We know that won't fix the underlying root of the problem, which is a whole other can of worms, but that's something we can do to help. Um, we're also members of the Federal Communication Commission's Advisory Committee on Diversity and Digital Empowerment, which is where we can provide advice and recommendations to the Commission regarding how to empower disadvantaged communities and accelerate the entry of small businesses, including those owned by minorities and women, into the media, digital news and information, and audio and video programming industries. And through our advocacy on telecommunications issues, such as rural broadband and TV white spaces, we seek to close a digital divide that has left too many in the Black community without access to critical services, such as education, healthcare, and workforce development. And finally, we'll keep fighting against efforts to weaken encryption and undermine personal privacy. In addition to acting as the protective buffer of most internet traffic, everything from commercial transactions to social interactions, Strong encryption also protects those who may need increased privacy due to harassment and abuse, including minorities, victims of domestic violence, and the LGBTQ community, and even those protesting with the Black Lives Matter movement. And with that, we have another crucial role to play, and that is our commitment to amplify Black voices and having open and honest discussions, which is what we're doing on this episode of TechSwamp. So I'm gonna kick it over to Chelsea and Kiana for this month's member moment. As we mentioned before, we're being joined by Kiana Stewart of member company Global Force Tech Consulting. Hey Kiana, thanks for joining us. Hi Chelsea, thanks for having me. Of course. Earlier in the podcast, the membership team and I were discussing the role our association must play when it comes to the fight for racial justice and equality. This goes beyond advocating for policy that will empower people of color, but also amplifying the voices of black and brown people in our industry. We're very excited to have you lend your time and your voice for this open and honest discussion on TechSwamp today. Yeah, thank you again. Um, it's great to see different companies and organizations stepping up to do what they believe is right, but there is still so much more opportunity for inclusive and collaborative discussions to take place. So I'm looking forward to this discussion as a part of that process. Well, thank you so much. Um, with that, let's jump right in. Um, if you could introduce yourself and tell us who you are and share your personal and professional journey with us, and then talk about the work that you do as the founder and CEO of Global Force Tech. Professionally, I'm the CEO and principal consultant of Global Force Tech Consulting, um, which is a technology consulting and software development company. Uh, by training, I'm a software product and project manager with roughly 20 years of combined uh, experience in the nonprofit and for-profit for uh, sectors. Um, I'm also a mentor in residence at the George Washington University, an adjunct instructor in the Office of Innovation and Entrepreneurship for GW and George Mason University. Um, I have a master's in information technology with a concentration in project management and a bachelor's of psychology from Howard University. And a little known fact there is that Howard was the only college that I applied to. Um, so I was really confident that <laughs> I would get into to Howard University and I'm actually glad that that worked out because I did not have a backup plan. <laughs> um, I spent most of my career working, as I mentioned, in the nonprofit sector and built a strong foundation in science um, in board governance and social justice. Um, and so more recently, I founded Global Force for Girls, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that was founded this year with a mission to eradicate barriers for young women 
and girls in the STEM workforce. So really proud of you know the work that I've been able to do in both the for-profit and nonprofit sectors. Um, and now that I'm you know the CEO of a you know for-profit consulting and software development company and the president of a nonprofit um, with a focus on you know helping students, young women and, and girls um, kind of understand their roles um, in the STEM workforce um, is, is very exciting and I'm you know humbled and honored to, to be in this position. Um, wow. personally, you have a lot on your plate. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I'm doing all the things all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so personally, I, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I generally like to start off with that. I'm a very proud Baltimorean. Um, Baltimore, you know, helped to shape me um, as a person and helped me really understand what it means to be uh, black in America and, of course, a black woman in America. Um, I was fortunate to have access to uh, the best public schools in the city, uh, which definitely shaped me educationally um, and gave me sort of a, a broad understanding of not only the black culture, but just, you know, Baltimore as a city um, and then the culture of, of America and, and of the world. Um, and then when I'm not doing all the things, um, I'm an avid wine lover, um, you know, consuming it, but also learning about, you know, grape varieties and regions and, you know, soil management. Um, and think overall, I'm a good mix of quiet and animated and analytical and artistic. I love that. What a, what a good combination um, and a way to try to find some balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so keeping your journey in mind and keeping all of your experiences in mind, um, as a Black woman, what have you experienced in this industry that needs attention? And how can we fix this while also taking the burden off of people of color to do the fixing? I think this is such a great question. And I'm, I'm grateful to see that so many organizations are, you know, tackling this very question, right? And trying to tackle, you know, how they can be uh, allies and support systems and develop support to supportive structures for uh, black and brown folks, you know, in the corporate space, um, but also in the different sectors. Um, and I think it starts with conversation, right? You know, this is a great example of the starting process. Um, I think understanding difference, understanding how differences influences um, not only each other, but also impacts technology as a whole, right? Like we talk about innovation and innovation, um, the part of that process really involves a lot of different perspectives coming together to, you know, to make something great, right? To make technology great, to make systems great. Um, to make improvements in those spaces as well. Um, so, so having uh, the desire, the willingness to, to investigate what difference looks like and how that can impact, um, shape and form the work that we're doing in tech and technology um, and software development in the different areas of STEM, I think is, is a great start. And I think that willingness then comes, you know, sort of turns into, um, you know, this, planning process, right? Like, so, okay, now that we have agreed that we, we all want diversity, we all, all want equity, inclusion, and we all want to feel like we belong, how do we then extend that into developing processes that actually get us to um, affecting change? And that change can be working together to build applications that solve problems in communities of color. That could be you know, education initiatives. It could be like we're seeing now where lots of organizations are developing grant funds to support um, black and brown businesses. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity, but I think really where we start is just all coming together to have inclusive collaborative conversations around our differences 
and sort of identifying the uniquenesses in all of those um, as we try to figure out how to move forward. Absolutely. And I think the, the point about collaboration and inclusivity is really important, you know, when you think about that both of those things really need to go hand in hand, right? right? If you are collaborating just between people that all think the same way and look mm-hmm. the same way, then you're not really collaborating, right? you know, right. like the end result is going to serve that audience. Right. And the scope is limited, right? So your only um, abilities are sort of in a box, right? And so the goal of uh, innovation and, and acknowledging difference and being collaborative and again, having that willingness to connect um, expands the box, right? Because now you're adding variables that you hadn't considered before or perhaps that you weren't exposed to before, but that makes it so much more robust and so much more interesting and valuable, right? Because now you're adding things into that box that um, will help to shape you and inform you as an individual, but then also will help to shape and inform the larger system. Absolutely. Well, at ACT, we have a ton of issue areas that we're passionate about, and we actively work to educate policymakers about those issues. And one of those is telemedicine. Um, You have a client who is doing some fantastic stuff when it comes to mental health within the telehealth ecosystem. Can you talk a bit about them and the work that they're doing? Sure. So when I first, uh, one of my first major clients, Uh, was a psychiatrist, is a psychiatrist um, in Atlanta. And one of the challenges that he was facing was that, you know, as a black male uh, psychiatrist, you know, he was in many ways state mandated, um, depending on the circumstance, to provide psychiatric services to um, black and brown, you know, uh, boys and girls. Um, And of course, he has a thriving practice and lots of, um, you know, variety in the patients that he sees. But he was sort of uh, frustrated with this, uh, the complexities of really trying to reach these kids that really needed these services. Um, so we were approached to partner with him to try to think through how he could build uh, a mobile app that would reach the, these kids where they are, right? And, and give them a, a tool that could empower them to, one, understand all the different feelings and and emotions and um, behavioral challenges that they were experiencing and how they could use the app to chronicle those, to capture that information and and to sort of take ownership of that from their personal um, perspectives. Because a lot of times, you know, uh, kids in black and brown communities are, are labeled. And so then those labels are what you believe about yourself, right? And so um, this, a mobile app would give them the opportunity to really explain and to talk about what they're feeling and, and use that as a tool uh, in conversation when they're in spaces with adults where they're having to um, justify their behavior or justify you know the, the experiences that they're, they're having. Um, but then also serve as a tool um, so that when they actually were in those therapeutic uh, psychiatric spaces that they had something that they could use in communication with those mental health uh, practitioners and, and doctors. Um, and so, you know, we were just one, thrilled with the opportunity um, from a software development perspective, but more so because of the mission, right? And because of, of the goal, the end of, uh, objective of really trying to empower 
um, and affect real change in communities of color, particularly for kids that are marginalized, um, that get looped into the penal system um, and don't have a voice. And this mobile app, you know, gave them, gives them uh, that voice. And so, you know, that was really empowering for not only him and his patients, but of course for us as well to be able to take that technology and again, um, put our put our collective brains together um, to build a solution that would affect change in their lives, but also in his life as a psychiatrist. That is really, really important and very cool work. Another issue that we're passionate about is workforce development and computer science education. You mentioned Global Force for Girls earlier. Can you talk about that a bit more? And in particular, could you just talk a bit about the importance of finding great mentors in this space? Um, absolutely. So I'm, you know, spent about 11 years uh, professionally working in the nonprofit sector, um, as I've mentioned several times, and just am thrilled to get back into the nonprofit space, you know, having been in, in the technology space for a while now. Um, and so I founded Global Force for Girls um, as an affiliated nonprofit to Global Force Technology Consulting um, because, you know, in my role as a mentor in residence at uh, GW, um, I have just had an amazing opportunity to engage with some really bright, uh, spunky, uh, funny, charismatic uh, young women. And many of these young women um, have said, you know, that they're, they feel really uh, grateful that there is someone that they can talk to um, about their ventures, about entrepreneurship, uh, just about, you know, really anything, um, and having someone that actually looks like them or represents them, um, and, and also being a woman as well um, in a really, you know, male-dominated um, space. Um, so I, I started thinking about how I could extend that to um, to, to a, on a broader scale and to, and to kind of reach uh, uh, more folks. Um, and then that also kind of got my wheels thinking um, as I was supposed to speak at my high school, um, which is located in Baltimore uh, City in March for their STEM speaker series. And of course with COVID-19, um, that didn't happen. So those two, two things combined um, came, you know, was sort of what was the, the catalyst for Global Force for Girls. And really the, the, the purpose of the, and the mission of the organization is to eradicate the barriers that currently exist in young women and girls actively you know, uh, seeing themselves as participants in the STEM workforce. Um, and I think that's really critical and important because you know, we know the challenges that women, adult women have in the technology industry and navigating those spaces in predominantly white male environments uh, but we we still have work to do as it relates to young women and and girls, right? And I think empowering them, uh, providing education, training opportunities to get them um, the skills that they need to be ready as they are transitioning out of high school and into college, and then out of college into the actual workforce. Um, and and not only you know from the technical aspects, from the computer science aspects. Um, and, and STEM broadly, but also giving them uh, the confidence that they need to be able to um, interact with challenges that they might face as they're navigating in these spaces. So the workforce development piece is, you know, sort of a, a two component process. It's, you know, how do we get them ready, but then also how do we inform them um, and prepare them with the tools to be successful once they get into those spaces. And by extension, how do we hold the, co the companies that we partner with uh, to provide them with these opportunities 
um, accountable and responsible for ensuring that there is a pipeline and a pathway to success once they're inside those organizations. Absolutely. That's very cool. Yeah, it's um, it's you know what turned out to be sort of a, a passion project of mine, if you will, um, is now a, a you know a formalized nonprofit entity, and uh, I'm I'm just excited to see it thrive, and I'm excited to see all the amazing um, young women and girls that you know the work that we're doing will impact. That's incredible. And did you have mentors um, as you were working through this space? Um, so that's a really interesting question. Um, so when I think back, I, I happen to be one of those individuals that navigated independently, right? And navigated um, a lot of my, my professional and personal experiences happened in the absence of mentors. Uh, and I'm, I think it's one of the reasons that uh, I've, I'm so committed to mentorship uh, at the collegiate level because I know how important it is. Uh, I, I understand how having someone that is more experienced, you know, is is willing and, and able and capable to really help you dissect your ideas uh, and, and bring them to, uh, you know, to the forefront and bring them to light. But using structured methodologies and processes is invaluable. And it's not something that's afforded to everyone. Um, so, you know, I didn't, you know, navigating college, I had to learn the hard way. Um, you know, I think there, there's a, you know, within the HBCU community, there's sort of, you know, we laugh about how, you know, you have to, you have to earn your stripes, right? Because there's a lot of folks that are not handholding and, you know, there are resources that are scarce. And so you do just have to learn, you know, how to roll up your sleeves and use grit and talent and, and resources to, to really get what you need to get. Um, so I think all of those experiences definitely help me as I am mentoring because now I can pour all of that back into um, the mentees and, and the students uh, that I that I come in contact with, you know, in an official capacity again at the collegiate level, and and now taking those same experiences and being able to funnel those down to high school students, uh, you know, I think will be invaluable to them as well. And I think the the culture of, you know, having people. Uh, navigating on their own is shifting and rightfully so because again as we were talking about earlier that collaboration piece is so critical you know if if I can learn something and use that information to help you so that you don't have to go through the same challenges that I went through then that only makes for more of an opportunity for uh, that person to thrive and to grow and to excel so mentorship is extremely important uh, and I encourage you know folks that are you know in in our communities uh, collective communities to to really figure out ways that they can um, mentor other folks whether it's indirectly or more formally um, because it because it is so invaluable and it does help folks kind of see themselves in a different light. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Um, well, Kiana, you have been an absolute delight to have on the podcast. We all really value and value you and all of your contributions as a member, a mentor, and as a black woman. Um, and we're so lucky to have you in the DC region. Um, and I look mm -hmm. forward to working with you. Um, before we let you go, can you leave our listeners with something? It can be a quote, a resource, inspiration, whatever. Uh, sure. So again, thank you for having me today. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to, to be invited into these conversations and into these spaces. 
um, and hope that you know the information that I shared today will help shift and shape others' perspectives of what black and brown uh, women and men are, are doing um, and why our work is so important and so critical to the advancement of not only technology, but also to our society as a whole. Um, and so, you know, on the, the heels of this conversation kind of coming to a close, I would just say um, that I would encourage all of us to see each other as human beings, right? There's so much uh, weight that's put on, you know, black and brown folks because of the colors of our skins and because of how we're raised and the communities that we come from and the experiences that we have. Um, and it's, it's, you know, there is the burden there, right? There's a lot of weight that we carry. But I yeah. think ultimately, from my perspective, what I would love to see is more humanistic conversations taking place, right? That we are all relating to each other as humans. And not to say that we don't see color because that's impossible, right? We see it, it's there, it exists. But to really understand that, you know, we are all trying to achieve the same goals. We all want health and wealth. We all want to see our families grow and thrive. We all want to prepare for future generations. And, and being able to have these types of conversations where we're sitting down, again, collectively coming and putting our minds together and celebrating our differences, I think only helps us grow as individuals, as women, as men, and as people on this planet, right? We're all humans, um, regardless of our color. So I think I would just leave um, the listeners with with that, you know, start start there. Start with having conversations, difficult conversations, you know, as difficult as they might be, have them anyway. Listen to black and brown folks, um, empathize with their experiences, but above all else, see us as human beings. Thank you so much. Um, well, and thank you for joining us on Tech Swamp. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you again. And now it is time for our random identifier. Um, and this time we're going to be joined by Chelsea, who I am going to have go first. Chelsea, what is your random identifier for this month? Okay, you guys, as we discussed <laughs> earlier, I am in Montana um, and it is wonderful to be here. And I, this is sort of a marriage of a few different things about me. As you know, right. I love Good Morning America. Yeah. And maybe you don't know this, but I also love Garth Brooks. Oh, and I didn't know that. There, it, there was an interview between Garth Brooks and Robin Roberts about how he was doing a series of, or doing one big concert this summer, but it was going to be played at all these different drive-ins ah. around the country. Yeah. And it was going to happen while I'm in Montana. So I was like, well, I probably won't be able to go. However, it turns out that like the tiny, tiny town, like doesn't even have a post office, but the, like where I grew up, Amsterdam, Montana, has a drive-in movie theater. One of what? the kids did it as like a senior project and it, ha it has space for 150 cars. It's called The Pasture. And oh my God, I love it. they are one of the sites for the Garth Brooks concert. So That's that so is exciting. the news. That's the good news. The bad news is that I still didn't get a ticket, even though I oh. uh, like, quote unquote, waited in line for more than an hour and a half, like through like my no. phone just had it in line and like waiting for like more than an hour and a half. I like got a, I had a chiropractor appointment. I drove into Bozeman, not looking at my phone, of course, but it was just there like waiting. Right. 
and it, I'd never, I didn't get a ticket. I think because only 150 sucks. cars fit there. Yeah. But I'm really excited because it's awesome. Um, and it's a fun thing, uh, particularly during COVID times. But I am disappointed that I don't get to go. Yeah. That's that's a bummer. That but a bummer. net net happy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Plus, pretty you never much know, like... That's how I live life. Net happy. Right. And you never know. Like, it could end up... You just never know. Like, never say never. You know, Goonies never say die. Chelsea never says never. Amen. <laughs> never stop, never stopping. <laughs> yes. The Garth Brooks version of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a, No, I, I like that. I like the positive spin, too, which makes it kind of hard to top. So I don't know, Brad. I don't know what you got for us. I have no chance at topping that. <laughs> Brooks is a legend. Don't rock the juice box. No, I'm just kidding. It's jukebox. But. Anyways, continuing with music anyways, as I so often do yeah. in the random identifier portion, uh, Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever, who I've talked about before, yes. uh, released their second album at the beginning of June, and it is phenomenal. I love it very much. Beautiful blue vinyl that it came into, uh, colored vinyl, pretty fun. Nice. Uh, but yeah, definitely recommend listening to it. It's great front to back. Uh, Love that's it. awesome. All right, Caitlin, you're up. What's going on? Um, so I'm currently in my closet um, <laughs> right now. And <laughs> I'm getting some really good acoustics, I think. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but because I and, and like I just want to say like the closet that I'm in is large. Like I have I'm sitting in on a stool like on a proper stool in this closet like there's plenty of room for me to be here so it's not as pathetic as it sounds <laughs> but but i am in this closet and um i'm currently looking at a giant mason jar that is full of dirt yeah and this is a really exciting um container of dirt because this is from a very famous plant from the act office <laughs> which is true. alex's jade plant my giant um, jade plant <laughs> I um I had to rescue a bunch of ACT staff plants from the office um, as we went into quarantine because when we first entered, we were like, we don't know how long this is going to be. And then it quickly became clear it was for um, a kind of significant amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I have rescued these plants and Alex's J plant is like insane. It's so it's the coolest plant ever. It, it <laughs> seems like it, it the way it grows is is horizontal. Yeah, it has a life and, of its own. <laughs> it really has has done a lot of cool things but um alex was like i need to replant it i need to repot it i need to like do whatever because it's it's kind of been like teetering and needed some some support from pencils and pens <laughs> in our office to stand up so yeah it had some recently... legit plant infrastructure yeah, yeah it really did <laughs> well i have removed the plant infrastructure and repotted uh the plant um, and have propagated like some of the leaves and I'm going to be, um, out of the five leaves that fell off when I was replanting, I'm propagating <laughs> those. I am mixing the old soil with some new soil. So I don't like shock the plant when I replant the other parts of it in the OG planter. It's been a real journey and I, it's making me feel more connected to being membership chillin. Um, so I'm, I'm very appreciative for this opportunity and I will keep our listeners posted on if your plant dies because <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. And also like it really needed plant surgery, you know, like it really needed someone to just say like, you know what, I'm going to be the doctor today and I'm going to kill you 
Uh, and it's needed it for months, and I'm a terrible plant owner because I don't have a green thumb, and I picked plants that are very hard to kill, and jade is one of those plants. So, like, anything that's happening is better than what was happening before, but also just, like, the the care with which you have taken, like, you have just, like, you just care so much about the jade plant. I do. Yeah, and that's... I feel really connected. That jade plant also, I should tell you, is so sort of, like... Uh, it's such a strong plant that it also killed the two cacti that used to be in there with it. Um, their names were Sid and Nancy. They were yellow and red cacti and it killed them. It like, it just was like, you know what? I don't want to share with you guys. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is it has a life of its own. And I a mind like of its that. Own. Maybe I like it because it has some st- sinister it's vibes. It's a little and spooky. I, yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> spooky. Um, it's yeah. Spooky. <laughs> Um, well, uh, ooh, I'm going to make a tie in here because speaking of spooky, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, she released a new album on Friday. Uh, it's really, really good. It's called Punisher. Um, and what's spooky is that on the cover, she's wearing like a skeleton costume situation and she's in like the dark mountain area desert situation. So spooky cover, uh, but also a great album would recommend 10 out of 10. Um, I, I will really second love it. that. Yeah, it's like a good one. She has a song in there called Kyoto, also that just like involves, uh, like joy for me. I she didn't know that when she wrote it, but <laughs> it's really. I've been sleeping on her for like way too long, and recently have started listening. Yeah, I've not listened to anything new, like the new stuff. But um, I'm embarrassed. Like I really have been sleeping on her. She's great. It Did you me, listen I, to Better Oblivion? I don't know. I just put on like this is this is Phoebe Bridgers on uh, on my Spotify. Uh, she playlist. she has some like collab bands that are like really excellent. So Better Oblivion Community Center is um, uh, like her kind of like duo with Connor Oberst uh, from Bright Eyes, oh my gosh. and it's extremely good. Um, and then she also has one called Boy Genius, which is with Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker also really really good um really good. they have a song yep. called me and my dog that is on every single playlist i've made in the last like four months so would recommend oh, okay yeah she's listening she's listening <laughs> <laughs> so phoebe garth and rolling, rolling coastal thunder coastal fever rolling Close. blackout rolling blackout <laughs> rolling blackout coastal, coastal yeah. fever yeah yeah that was it that Sorry, was great Brad. It's okay. I tried. And I have listened to them. And Jade Jade Plant. Plant. It's just a ridiculous band name, so I completely understand. And doesn't the lead singer wear like an awesome costume situation? I, or maybe it's just like, a music video. Didn't he have like here, a? That's here come the mummies. Yeah. yeah. Here come the. All right, now we have to make this podcast explicit. We have to do some serious editing here because we cannot. <laughs> Here, the mummies do not come. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. Um, If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who's composed our podcast, Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. 
five stars only, please. <laughs> and that's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye! Bye! bye.